This week, my guest is David Ferguson from Nucleus. I interviewed David as part of my preparation for my recent speech at Content Marketing Academy Live 2017. The talk was about keeping marketing simple as you grow from startup to big company. Nucleus has done just that. And David gave me some great tips, which I managed to weave into my presentation. So here you can listen to all of David's ideas in his great interview. Welcome to episode 131 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey everyone and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks as always for taking the time to download or stream the show. I really appreciate your time and of course your choice. This week, I talk again to David Ferguson of Nucleus. David appeared on the show over two years ago, and his episode is still the most downloaded so far, with over 3,000 hits. As I mentioned on last week's show, I was about to speak at the Content Marketing Academy Live Conference in Edinburgh, or CMA Live for short. It was quite honestly the best marketing conference I've ever been to and an absolute honour to share the stage with internationally renowned speakers like Chris Ducker and Marcus Sheridan. I spoke about fighting complexity in marketing as you go from startup to big corporate. Do you know what? I'm humbled by the feedback from the audience. My speech went down really well and I'm encouraged now to take the talk out to more conferences across the world if they'll have me, of course. David Ferguson played an important part in the success of that CMA Live talk. Nucleus is a perfect example of a company that's grown large and successful, but has managed to stay simple and nimble. I interviewed David as preparatory work for the talk, and it's so insightful, I thought it deserved to go out as an episode of the Marketing and Finance podcast. We chat about how to think big, act small, and be humble, keeping your marketing simple no matter how large your company grows, how to avoid compliance complexity in regulated industries, putting together sensible social media practices, and using content and live events to engage with your customers. After spending time as a trainee actuary with the Life Association of Scotland before stints with Ivory and Syme, Scottish Life International, and strategic consultancy The Abacus, David Ferguson started Nucleus Financial. In 2016, the Scottish Government appointed David as one of their fintech envoys for Scotland. Nucleus is a stone's throw from where I used to work at Bright Grey, and indeed, we've swapped marketing and cultural ideas over the years. David is a prolific user of social media and a frequent media commentator. So let's get straight into that interview with David, right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. David Ferguson, welcome back to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hi Roger, good to be back. It's been two years since you were on the show, David, and do you know what? Your episode, your original episode, is still the one with the most downloads. I think you're just short of 3,000 downloads now. Well, uh, let me apologise to all those who <laughs> <laughs> listen I think, I think the nuclear story is obviously a fascinating one. You started the company in 2006. You wanted to change the way investments were conducted, you want to make a much um, easier experience both for financial advisors and for the consumers, but what you also did was you created a remarkable, open, friendly, engaging culture within Nucleus, 
and obviously 10 years down the line, the company's thriving. How would you describe where you are at the moment? We, yeah, we passed our first decade just a few months ago, and I guess that was a felt like a milestone. In, in the end, dates tend to be artificial milestones, yes. and they are what you make them in. But um, it felt a little bit like we'd got to the point of being a credible market participant, mm-hmm. and it was a time to sort of draw a line in the sand and, and really kind of push on quite aggressively from there. So, but it felt a little bit like we'd started as a niche kind of upstart business, if you like, mm-hmm. whatever. And we kind of great belief here that if we're going to be successful in the long term, we've got to retain that startup spirit or startup mm-hmm. agenda, but also. You know, clearly, better the substance of a bigger business there as well. Yeah. <coughs> well. Again, what we're trying to do at the moment is respect that substance and, and build that substance, but infuse it, keep infusing it with that kind of startup thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's interesting. It's not the same. It's not the same challenge as starting from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're in pretty good shape at the moment. It feels it feels okay, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's quite a fascinating subject for me because I've watched you from afar, well, I say afar, from just down the road. A couple of <laughs> yeah, and one of the things that's fascinating me at the moment is the, the journey, if that's the way to describe it, that some companies take from startup as they develop and they become bigger, and ultimately, eventually, they become bigger companies, maybe even multinational companies, employing not hundreds, but thousands of people. And I've, I've identified, because I've been involved in it, how a startup company can start to lose some of the things that made it mm. special mm. in the early days mm. as it makes that journey to become bigger yep. and it starts to develop different product lines perhaps and it starts to bring in lots of different people. But Nucleus has kept the spirit, as you say, of the startup. You know, I walk into the office now and you've still got all the, the pictures of the people on the walls. It's a buzzing culture. It's very visible visual culture as well. Has it been quite hard to keep that original startup spirit even though you've grown quite substantially? Yeah, I think it's I think the important thing is it's it's probably not quite the same as a spirit. You know, it's an evolving thing. <clears throat> so the notion you know, if you go back to the very early days of like three years or whatever in a room size of this or something. The spirit's the same, the philosophy is the same, but the the structure of the company's obviously evolved immeasurably and the, and what we found at certain points in time is that stuff that we took for granted and um, points of connection, points of interaction, the way things happened here, which remember being very, very natural when there were three or four or five of us or 10 or 20 of us. Yeah, you had to develop new uh, structures and mm-hmm. put in place new structures to make that happen. So things like the tools we use for collaborating now and, and the, the way we operate are very different to what they were yeah. 10 years ago. And it's not like you're trying to mimic what happened what was true then because you can't recreate that because that was then and this is now. But you're trying to create, retain that fluidity and that kind of um, freedom of expression. And, and ultimately, uh, that whole thing that this is, whether it was three people or 180 people, it's just a bunch of people, right? It doesn't, it, we, we still have a company meeting every second Friday. We still have a beer at 444. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a table, tennis table, but we've also got, what, about 18 you know, risk and legal and compliance professionals in the business, you know? So you're trying to create that, retain that fluidity, but the same respect, you're not starting from zero again. One of the things I've observed with growing bigger is that they probably started with the intention to keep things simple. I think when Nuclear started, you wanted to make investment platforms, wraps, yeah. simple for advisors to use, to yeah. understand, and also for the end customer. Yeah. And the language you use in your marketing material yeah. is very easy to understand. It's not polluted with jargon or complexity or yeah. management speak and of course your website has a lot of really engaging content on it you're out doing roadshows the illuminate roadshows yep. which again is very engaging it's very focused and very easy for people to, to understand how do you avoid the dilution of that as you grow bigger because you're bringing new people in from 
outside yeah. that didn't share the original startup right. vision. How, how do you keep? I think there's, there's a great story. There's a great book called um, I think it's called Setting the Table, which is written by a famous restaurateur who's so famous I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's got a great story in that book about um, uh, the salt cellar. If you start a business with a certain bunch of beliefs and principles, uh, it's essentially the salt cellar being a metaphor for it goes to a certain place on the table. And every single person who comes into the business uh, and interacts with the business tries to move that salt cellar a little bit, or they tend to move it a little bit every single day. And almost your role as a leader is to just move it back to where it was before and then explain why it's getting moved back to where it was before. So you're kind of nudging all the, all the time. And <clears throat> you talk, talk about language and writing style. We have, we have a sort of running... Um, joke in our business about even things like capitalization of job titles right where uh, people uh, think it's really important that if they're the whatever the head of legal or something it's, it's not who it's with but they should be capital H and capital L right and and we don't write that way because we think it conveys a sense of um, almost a sense of ego right and, and we and we chose to write in a way which is uh, well it's actually the way the FT writes and yes. it's, it's a trivial example but a whole bunch of stuff which is saying I guess it all comes to leadership in the end where you've got to say when you see those things nudging away from what you want it to be, mm-hmm. you have to kind of revert or point out that it's not how we do things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not always straightforward. And of course, people come from different organizations and join us. And I think people have probably joined Nucleus now from, I guess, 25 or 30 different organizations over time. Um, and they've all got their own way of doing things. But equally, most of them, well, all of them hopefully, came here because they wanted to be part of this culture, mm-hmm. not the one they're in before. So they, the bits that they didn't, the structures they perhaps didn't understand or, or didn't know help drive our culture mm-hmm. and then we got to learn them and pick them up and mm-hmm. look at change as well right the stuff that which there's loads of stuff which we wouldn't have done before because we didn't understand it well enough and other people have brought that expertise into the business yeah. so it's like it's not a you know i've never believed this is a static thing but mm-hmm. the, the, there are certain principles here about simplicity and you know killing complexity which hopefully are enduring mm-hmm. uh, i think quite a big part of the brand yeah i have three little rules that i try to stick with the first one is talking the language of your customer yeah. Secondly is don't use jargon, management speak, gobbledygook. Yeah. And the third one is don't succumb to the curse of knowledge. Now the curse of knowledge again is a book by somebody who right. came to me. <laughs> but the curse of knowledge is where because you work somewhere in an industry somewhere all the time, you mm-hmm. tend to assume that everybody has the same level of knowledge as you. Yeah. But they don't. Yeah. In fact, they probably have very little if no knowledge. And if you assume they do, then you communicate the cable thing in the wrong way. Yeah. What you actually have is to assume that they know nothing and explain it at the most lobby basic level. Yeah. And actually that engages them a hell of a lot more than if you just throw a load of um, jargon. Yeah, we've got an example here where the word product means different things to different people in this mm-hmm. company, right? So I think uh, we talk about, the pro- I would talk about our product as being our rap platform. Mm-hmm. That would be our product. Whereas some people in the business, we tend to think of our product as being either the ISA or the SIP or, or mm. the general account that, that are tax wrapper products mm-hmm. on our platform. And I think that's, to my mind, that's industry speak. The average person doesn't care about what a SIP is and what an ISA is in, in general, at least. Uh, they're concerned about the outcome it kind of generate for themselves for the rest of their lives. And if you put yourselves in that camp where we play a role in helping financial advisors, financial planners deliver and execute a, a plan in mm-hmm. people's lives, then you, if, you, if you focus on that all the time, you tend to dial down the tendency to get into jargon because yes. we're actually talking about, okay, Roger, what do you want to do in your later years? Well, I want to do X, Y, Z. Well, th- this is only a bunch of tools to help you achieve that. Yes. And I think increasingly financial advisors are moving into that space and that mindset is a really positive thing uh, because I suspect just as nobody cares who 
I don't know, manufacture the drill at your dentist, you just trust the guy to sort your teeth out, um, uh, or you go to your doctor and you expect the, the, the doctor to advise you properly, use the right equipment. <clears throat> to my mind, all we're doing is providing the tools to, to allow advisors to make the life you want to have. And I think if you have that focus on the outcome, yes. which is that will be a beginning with the outcome in mind or beginning with the end in mind, then you, you sort of naturally dial down the technical stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not to say it always happens here, but that's the, that's the kind of plan. And the other thing as well that I wanted to, um, to explore is what I would call the development of silly rules that tends to happen <laughs> in companies. And, and, and as you know, I was involved in a startup for what a long yeah. time ago called Bright Grey, and we had desire to never have silly rules. But as time went by, and we got we became much more sucked into the corporate structure of the bigger company. We did start to adopt what I would have described as a lot more bureaucracy. Yeah. Now again, leadership is a very important thing, and then and in your example, you would have just said, "No, no, it's, the salt cellar has been moved too far away from the middle of the table." But again, the bigger you get, the more um, pressure you come under. How do you avoid people just getting into that complexity and that bureaucracy? Because you sort of mentioned got 19 compliance and risk people yeah. and compliance and risk people perception is they just love to put the barriers in place and yeah that's interesting I mean obviously we've got policies for stuff mm-hmm. um, and some of that is heavier weight than other mm-hmm. bits you know if you look at our client money policies or something like that obviously mm-hmm. incredibly detailed and technical and the processes support that Whereas if you look at our social media policy, it'd be lighter weight yes. in, in its style. And equally, there's a whole bunch of rules around here, if you like, that are unspoken. And I guess some things are hard and some things are soft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've got a particular thing around the compliance part where if anyone ever says, I need to get that signed off by compliance, it means you've probably done it wrong. Yes. <laughs> and you're, you're doing something stupid or you're mm-hmm. doing... Because why... You know, I didn't, I didn't walk into the office here today... Think I hope I don't get arrested. It wasn't in my, it wasn't in my head that that was a threat, you know. Yes. Uh, but for whatever reason, this industry, this notion that I've got to get it signed off by the person who's really only supposed to check that maybe that it is okay. You know, mm-hmm. why, why would it not be okay? You know, what what are you doing that's wrong? Mm-hmm. Who are you trying to mislead, or what were you trying to mislead someone or oversell something? Mm-hmm. It means the compliance rules even relevant here, and and certainly in, in, in marketing sense. And I think that we we try and put a lot of burden on our first line management to say, well, if you do it the right standard, then you don't have to worry about. It. Compliance function because why would you want to cut that corner or, or do something wrong? There's a difference between documenting things which have to be documented to be a credible business mm-hmm. of, of any or any regulated business from any scale at all. Equally, you don't want the documentation or the bureaucracy to kind of kill the business. But if you're doing it right, it shouldn't. That's right. Um, and I, I always fight the people here often write things and say financial services is that we operate in a highly regulated industry. And it's not a regulated industry. It's not more, I don't believe it's any more heavily regulated than pharmaceuticals or, or loads of other industries. But we've got this thing in our heads as an industry that we are somehow unfairly or, un, or very heavily regulated. And I, don't, I don't buy it. I think if you're doing things correctly and properly, you're just a regulated industry. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's an important distinction for me. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. I, 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 you mentioned social media in that uh, just then as well, David. I was doing some work with a company recently and they were wanting a social media policy put together. And it was a financial services company. And on the first day, I was talking to the marketing manager, the marketing director, in fact, and he was a little bit sceptical of this whole social media thing, mm-hmm. but he recognised that it was something they had to look at. But his instruction to me on day one was, you do realise that whatever policy you agree with the marketing team, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever it is you yeah. use, I'll be signing off everything that goes out. Yeah. And there was a stunned silence for a couple of minutes until I actually said to him, look, do you actually realise what you're saying here? Mm-hmm. You know, the recommendation could be that you're tweeting 20, 30, 40 times a day, potentially. 
do you seriously want to sign off every single tweet? And absolutely, we can't afford to be saying the wrong thing. So then I said, well, okay, imagine you've just done a roadshow in Basingstoke or Edinburgh, whatever it is, and an advisor tweets you and said, great roadshow, really enjoyed that, thanks. If you wanted to reply to that tweet and just say, no problem, we'll be back in six months' time with another great roadshow, hope to see you there. Yeah. Do you seriously want to sign that off? Yeah. Well, that, no, of course I don't want to sign that off. That's just a reply, that's yeah. just a conversation. And that's when I realised that because he was a marketing director, he'd assumed that actually all Twitter was was another marketing channel yeah. as opposed to a two-way conversation. Yeah. And I think as soon as he realised that it wasn't going to be adverts, yeah. it was just going to be a conversation, he became so much more relaxed. Mm. And maybe that's what quite a few is frightened of. They just think it's, it is a promotional channel. Yeah, I can, I can easily imagine. I mean, it's my initial, halfway through that story, I was going to say um, this person male or female was I just hired the wrong people <laughs> and we don't trust them to yeah. talk on the company's behalf I mean yeah. I guess we've always taken the view that if we trust people to speak to our customers on the telephone mm-hmm. or over instant messaging or whatever form it is why would we not allow them to speak on the company on social mm-hmm. media so I don't know how many nuclear staff actually have got Twitter accounts probably everybody I don't know how many in relation to the work you know, yeah. you know it wouldn't surprise me if it's half of them mm-hmm. occasionally we'll, or, or frequently we'll say something on behalf of the business on, on, on Twitter or elsewhere mm-hmm. on social media and I suppose we start from the point of view that we just trust people. Mm-hmm. Um, we start with the principle that we hire people who, who we believe will do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, the odd instance where that's not been true. But um, fundamentally, to me, Twitter is a good example where I think that is a conversational medium. Mm-hmm. And I find it utterly bored when people try and promote stuff on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, a big believer in the, I guess, the old Seth Godin side of this and the sort of you build this relationship over time. and. Uh, or even actually Gary Vaynerchuk's view was it um, was that book he had the jab jab hook right hook or something that's it right hook which uh, I thought was, was quite aggressive language but um, <laughs> sort of hinting basically you, you have this you build this uh, rapport this relationship and then you sell someone something that wouldn't be quite as overt as that but it's uh-huh. just fundamentally it's a medium to become trusted on you know mm-hmm. it's interesting because we we were the audience over the years where if something's not going right here the first reaction is some, some people the customers will just immediately go to Twitter to grumble about it I'm actually okay with that. It doesn't freak me out at all because I don't necessarily think it's where I'd want to go first to if something wasn't going well. But if um, if that's the way someone wants to deal with it, I kind of welcome the nudge that we're not mm-hmm. doing it properly. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we come short somewhere, I don't have a problem with that being broadcast because we all tend to have the ability to respond to that in a, in a grown-up way. And, um, yeah. You're certainly not going to miss it. Well, that's right. You know, yeah. Why would you? I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's, I've always thought it's the same. If someone's, if someone's talking about your business, and particularly something you've not done well, it's a great privilege to know about it, mm-hmm. to be able to know about it, mm-hmm. uh, and to learn where you could be doing it better. Mm-hmm. I think people who go into denial, that, I mean, very few businesses do everything perfectly every single day of the week, right? So if, if somebody's in denial about um, the quality of their product or the quality of their service, and they'd try and mute all their customers' negative observations, I think it's completely absurd. It's far mm-hmm. better to, to hear them and, and invest in yourselves to resolve those, those things. And I don't see why. I think it's actually a real positive thing mm-hmm. to get that kind of loop going. So, and social media is obviously a really good, really powerful channel for that, mm-hmm. I think. That takes us quite uh, nicely into content. Okay. <laughs> and of course, Nucleus, uh, you are churning out a hell of a lot of really good quality mm-hmm. content. You have the, the Illuminate section on the website, which is a combination of blog articles, yep. videos, audios. You take a roadshow out on the road yep. twice a year, yep. Yep. which is the Illuminate Roadshow, where you have experts talking to financial advisors. Yep. How did you develop that belief in content marketing? Yeah, so in some respects, this goes right back to the very beginning of the business. So mm-hmm. we, we thought Nucleus was essentially a two-strand business. One was to develop the, you know, the best platform 
in, in, the, in the world or in, in the market. Um, and the other was to promote best practice amongst our users so that they would all become more successful. Essentially, Illuminate is the current incarnation or the culmination of all that work. So we've always had things like practice development groups for IFA firms where they would gather in their locality and um, discuss how they do their compliance, their systems integration, their marketing, their recruitment, their culture development themselves, whatever it is. So we've always liked the, the idea of our users finding best practices amongst themselves. We've always encouraged them to share ideas a lot. Um, and what we did try to do with Illuminate was say, well, this would be really cool if um, if we got a combination of our existing users and external experts and people that we liked or whatever we thought were relevant to just contribute a bunch of ideas on a regular basis, uh, whether online or offline. So the online one, uh, I guess, launched just over two years ago. We had daily content on that for that, that period of time. And then, as you say, we run these events twice a year where so far, I mean, we've had a uh, sort of group of four experts in certain mm-hmm. fields go out and run these quite intense workshops, actually. Mm-hmm. They're not, um, they're, they're easy to attend and they're very interesting to attend, but they're quite challenging as well. Right. So they're not, they're not um, stand up and listen to someone talking about something. They're quite involved workshop sessions. And in fact, the people who run the sessions, the four experts, if you like, in each one, you know, they'll run that same workshop maybe three times in a day, mm-hmm. which is quite intense in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they've been really well received and we had massive um, uptick in attendance at the last lot from the previous one. I think we've got this, this series coming up uh, actually this month. And we've got even there's several hundred people coming to them wow. last time, yeah. Wow. So, and it's, it's trying to link the online and the offline and we've been doing things now. One thing that's quite nice for Nucleus in it is that the sort of alumni, if you like, the speakers generally understand our business better as a consequence mm-hmm. and maybe form an attachment to us in some way so that the events to some extent become kind of brand ambassadors as well. So we've never thought the idea, we've always encouraged the idea that um, if you've got a good idea and you're sharing it amongst, and you're in a, in a group club or community that you get on with, why wouldn't you share it with them? I think, I think the stuff you produce, what I like about it is that even though Nucleus is a rap platform, yeah. your content isn't all about raps. No. You're actually helping advisors with all sorts of yeah. tips to help from doing their accounts to marketing their yeah. businesses, building websites, yeah. right. writing letters to people, whatever it might be, you, you, yeah. you've almost created a really good high quality resource for IFAs to use to grow their business. Yeah, it's pretty much nothing to do with the rap platform at all. Yeah. I mean, there occasionally be references to it, but um, we, we, we weren't inspired by this organization, but another, another company I think is very good at it is, um, and we don't actually use a tool at all, it's a company called Asana, I don't know oh, if yeah. you know, which yeah, is sort of a project management collaborative kind of mm-hmm. tool. And they have a program called Wavelength, which I guess is something mm-hmm. probably illuminate. Um, and they do it really well too, I think. And, and, and they probably, some of the production of their videos, I think, is they probably a bit more uh, polished on some of their stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if you're looking at um, organizational development stuff, people management stuff, yeah. you go to Wavelength by Asana, you'll see really great short blog posts. So it's just, it's probably sort of mirrors what we're trying to do with Illuminate, so we probably try and learn from them uh, as we go as well. But it's um, essentially, how do we draw people? We, we've used it more actually for existing users mm-hmm. rather than draw people in. We do, we, we're starting now to try and attract users through it as well. Yeah. But I say up till now, primarily it's been about promoting best practice amongst existing firms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I say probably the last, with Illuminate Live last year, we had quite a lot of prospect firms along as well that kind of drawn into it. So. When I talked to you two years ago, David, you said a little phrase which really struck me, and I think I remembered it properly, <laughs> and it was um, think big, act small, yeah. be humble. Yeah. That was the, the nucleus philosophy. Is, yeah. that, is that still? Is that still yeah, since there's a picture on the wall in the corner that you can see. I'll take a photograph of the way You can do that. Um, actually, that's, when the company was 10 years old, that's the 
gift that the company or the team got me for mm-hmm. uh, was, a, was a cartoonist called Gaping Void, a oh, human cloud who that we did. We think it's that's fantastic, and uh, they got me an uh, illustration of that for, uh, for my uh, to celebrate my tenures with the company. So yeah, I mean that was a, for me is a really valuable mantra that we have, which is obviously you know never be afraid to kind of dream big. That's kind mm-hmm. of the little um, obvious stuff and. But to do that, if you don't swear the small stuff, you'll fail, you know, because mm-hmm. you'll, you'll get carried away and complacent and all that sort of stuff. And then um, Be Humble is a big part of that as well. And just, you know, the kids just don't get overly excited. There's, there's a great quote by um, Andy Groves, who's the ex-CEO of Intel, mm-hmm. which he said, uh, I don't get this right, success breeds complacency, complacency breeds failure, and only the paranoid survive. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I love. We, we, we actually, as we went through that second, in the second decade thing, you know, having had it, I suppose, reasonably successful first 10 years, it was, um, it was we need to really drill into people, this is mm-hmm. jobs just getting started, right? We're nowhere near the end of this. And, uh, and I, I, it was actually Andy Smith, who's our CTO, I think drew that quote to my attention. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I can see the, I can see the thing being out small, be humble, almost stencil on the side of the salt cellar now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you move the salt cellar back to the centre all the time to make sure you're on message and you're on yeah, board. Yeah. It's, it's just a belief system. Yeah. It's a belief system, you know? And it's, and ultimately, it's a people thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all you can ever have is that, yeah, I guess I'd like to think one day when people leave here and they go on to bigger and better things or different things, that they, um, if they think of nuclear for one thing, they, they, they believe in the kind of truth of what we're trying to do, mm-hmm. the transparency of it, and to me that, and, and the fact that we were, you know, we had that kind of ambition and we, and, we, and maybe that mantra or whether it was more whatever you call it, is a, is a representation of that. Great stuff. David, thanks so much for seeing me again. Yeah. Thanks for chatting to me. Just before we go, just let everybody know how they can meet you on Twitter. Yeah, <coughs> so, yeah so my Twitter handle is uh, at David underscore Ferguson. Fantastic. David, always yeah. a pleasure. Thanks very much. Cheers, Roger. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.